Good morning. Um, Donovan, would you would you put the last verse of that last song? All I have is Christ. There's been a lot of, uh, for me this morning, a lot of uh, remembering. And and I, I can't even begin to fill in all the context to help you understand like where that remembering comes from. I know it's just something that God has been, been doing here uh, today. But Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be. My only boast is you. And in the middle of that is, oh, Father, use my ransom life. That is, those are somewhat the words that God poured through me um, when he saved me. I didn't have, uh, you know, we, we sing a mighty fortress is our God, right? And, and, uh, you see at the bottom, Martin Luther. And, and I have a Lutheran background. So, so when we sing that, you know, uh, something, something rises up inside of me. I don't know, I want to grab a stein and, you know, just do something, you know, and it's like, okay, put that away. And, uh, but that background, and also Davy and Goliath. But some of you might know that, some of you might not. So I, I hear that in my head. There's familiar things there. But it was out of that out of that context that God spoke to my life through a woman I will never forget because of her faithfulness to the Word of God and to continually pour the Gospel um, in every fashion into our lives, both the love of Christ and our and the wretchedness of our sin, all mixed together. But when the Lord saved me, those were the words that poured out of my heart. Lord, I. Sarah said. Sarah said to. Ask you into my heart. Lord, whatever you want to do with me. Whatever you want to do with me, I am yours. I am yours. And uh, he's been doing that. And sometimes the uh, whatever you want to do with me isn't pleasant. It's hard. And that's good. (laughs) Because I don't want to be left where he found me. And he doesn't want to leave me where he found me. And that's the same for all of us. So there's been a lot of, just a lot of weight of that, and it's a, and it's it's a precious weight. Um, with that, let's pray. This is my heart, Lord, that what you have done to prepare me for saying these words, notes, the the sermons, the the verses, the songs. I want to do. the work that you have called your preachers to do. To proclaim the gospel. To expound the truth of your word. As a willing vessel that your spirit would take what you have spoken and make it alive to men. And change lives. And that's 
my heart, and that's what I want to be a vessel that you use to change lives like the vessels that you have used to change mine. For your glory, for the glory of your name, to proclaim the value of your word and truth, no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. So, for the past a uh, couple times that I've been privileged to share with you all, I've, I've had uh, the real privilege of just preaching the gospel, just in, in simple form, just reiterating the things of the gospel, the, the, the crucifixion, the, the power of God resurrecting Christ, and that power to us in receiving Christ to be to be born again and uh, and having that gospel spoken and presented and, and laid out before us comes the next step and that is and that is preaching the gospel and and I I don't necessarily mean just uh, behind a a wooden bench or, or behind some platform. Uh, I mean, just just in in always preaching the gospel as a, as an act of worship and and as an act of obedience, just going into the world and and preaching the gospel and and it's you know witnessing, testifying of what God's done. So that's that's an aspect. Of, of preaching the gospel and I want to lay that out there because it's not just it's not just here but I also want to come back to here and talk about preaching the gospel as in delivering it from behind the pulpit in front of of people and what the preaching of the gospel does and what the preaching of the gospel does, it, it shines a light on our unworthiness and inability. We cannot save ourselves. And, and most really don't want to be saved. And and I I know you know Carrie and I had some conversation this morning. She's like, would you, like, would you clarify most? I want to know what you mean when you say most. Most don't want to be saved. And I can see two aspects of that. Apart from God illuminating the need, you're. Uh, I didn't care. I didn't even know what saved meant. And and I didn't want it. I saw Christians, I'm, I I should say I I mean I saw Baptists and and Lutherans and you know maybe more Pentecostal and Church of I mean I just saw denominations. And we all believed in God and we all had this concept of Jesus. So so I I heard and saw these things, but I didn't have this reference where being saved was talked about a lot. I just didn't I didn't have that. I didn't I didn't have that verbiage. I didn't understand that so much, you know, before Sarah began to preach to my heart head and heart. But I didn't want to be saved. I didn't know what saved meant. I wanted to be happy. I wanted to feel good. And if you would have given me something that made me happy and made me feel good, I would have been content. And it would have been far short of what I really needed. It would have been very far short. Matter of fact, it would have led to just so much more <laughs> destruction and then eventually so much more unhappiness than I ever thought the happiness I had was like before. It had been destructive. I see that. 
I see that now. But most people don't want to be saved. And I think even within us is still at play sometimes those things. I really don't, I don't want to be saved from this or that. I just want to be happy. I, I just want to I just want to be happy. I want things to go well. I want to enjoy a lot of stuff. And it's I'm not saying that to say, and it's bad to enjoy things. No, I'm just saying that's kind of what we want. And we and we go after that and we chase after that because we don't want to be saved, we just want to be happy. Um but the preaching of the gospel shines the light on on those things in us, our unworthiness and our inability to change, to save ourselves, because we can't. But it also shines the light on Jesus, the Christ, as the only means of salvation and eternal life. And I don't mean that in the sense of just like that one-off experience of, I got saved. And we talked about this a little ways back. I was saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. Salvation is not a one-off. It is a lifelong work that God is doing in us. The light of the gospel shows us our unworthiness and our ability. The light of the gospel shines the light on Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation and eternal life. And when we see our sin exposed and the price paid by the sinless Son of God, a godly sorrow results and godly sorrow produces repentance. And this becomes a lifelong process. This becomes a lifelong process for us, not just a one moment in time and we coast. It becomes a lifelong process. So repentance. Life, a life of repentance. I think that would be, if I was going to pick a title, A Life of Repentance would be the title. But I don't want to just keep saying things without giving some frame of reference from the greatest reference from the Word of God. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 5, 5 through 11. And I'm reading from the ESV, um, if that helps second corinthians 7 5 to 11 for even when we came into macedonia and this is this is paul speaking even when we came into macedonia our bodies had no rest but we were afflicted at every turn fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So that I rejoiced still more. So that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. But godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians by letter, and he'd written them a letter earlier. And in this earlier letter, it was a grievous letter. He was laying out to them some obvious sins that were in their midst. And he knew that he was bringing something very, very heavy to them. He knew he was bringing something that must be dealt with. They were, they were living and practicing the faith in ways that were contrary to God. And in some ways, it's just making a, uh, making a mockery of the gifts of God and the, and the, and the things of God and just really uh, a mixture of, of so much. And it, you want to read, you can see in 1 Corinthians, you can see how Paul is trying to like really just help them restructure the way they're looking at God and the way they're looking at the church and how it behaves and, and how, you know, understanding of the Holy Spirit and kind of kind of shifting their context around because they just gotten so many things out of sorts and they were there were some things that they were doing that was just they were appalling what what they were doing it was and it was grievous to Paul and it was grievous to God so Paul gives them a hard shot with the word and he knows that hearing these things grieved them and it troubled him that he had grieved them that way because his heart was in love toward them. But when he hears through Titus of their repentance and of the change, then his grief turns into joy, rejoicing, because he knew that he, he made the change, that, that, that God, not he like Paul, but, but God had had wrought something in that work of him saying that to them, of sharing that word with them. And I understand that, and I think as as parents, I think maybe we can understand that, get that context of and and, and I and I just say that as a parent, not saying only as a parent will you understand this. I don't want to like lay some idea or concept on someone who's not a parent that, well, you don't have any idea. That that has nothing to do with this. But speaking for myself as a parent, seeing how when I've had to, you know, really get onto my kids for something that they were doing, then it's like, I know this is wrong and eventually this is going to lead to trouble in your life. And it's not going to be just like you get a SWAT for, you know, misbehaving or you have to sit time out or, you know, you don't get to do the fun thing you wanted to do. But I know that if this process keeps going, that you're going to find yourself running afoul of the law and everything else is going to lead to practices that are going to just turn your heart further and further from God and good instruction. And I know in me, like like Paul, that when I give those things to my kids, though that instruction, that something is like, I know that I have to do something to change this. I know that because I know just left alone, it's going to hurt them worse later. But to, but to look in their eyes and level that at them and watch it hurt them. And something inside of me was just like, okay, go, you look, go easy on them. Just, just, you know, kind of just like mellow out and just it's not just it's not that serious. And and again, I when I talk about parenting, I'm you know, I, I want to believe that it's from a not abusive because there are some abusive situations. You know what I'm saying? There are abusive situations where parents are just all the time and it doesn't matter what. And it's just always in the name of God with scriptures and stuff. And it's just pounding. And I'm not talking about that, but and so I'm just like really careful to frame these things. But for me, that experience was like I'd look in their eyes and I would say things 
and I would see that, like, I know this hurts. And I know that you don't like that feeling of disappointment inside of you that you've done something wrong. Like, I know what that feels like. And I look there in their eyes and I see that grief and it kind of hurts me. And I want to, I, I want to run to them. But at the same time, I know if I don't stand, for what is true, it's going to hurt them later. Leaving them alone, leaving them in that place is going to be more destructive in their life, so I have to realize that. And so I know what Paul is saying when he says, it grieved me knowing I grieved you, but seeing that it worked out for something else, seeing that it did produce something, then I, I now I rejoice. Now I Rejoice, because what it produced in you is repentance. Now, repentance is part of the sanctification process. Okay? So we talk about the gospel and its work that brings us to salvation. And God uses the gospel, He uses those words by the power of His Spirit, makes us to understand what He has done, the sacrifice that was made, the, the price that was paid, and brings us to Himself. And we are saved. But the being saved part is, we call that, sanctification. So I'm going to define a couple terms real quick here. And, and uh, maybe real, real quick in Kevinese. Within about 45 minutes, I'll have defined these two things. No, I'm not going to do that. But I, it does remind me to put my watch down here, so I'm like paying attention. <laughs> Repentance. Repentance equals turning away from sin and toward God. Repentance equals turning away from sin and toward God. Those two parts are necessary parts for real repentance. The first part of that, the turning, a, a, turning away from sin, regret and remorse are at play in that. You know, you, you heard in that verse that, that Paul said, you know, that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So, that godly grief, regret, remorse over the thing done, all by itself all by itself, is not complete. You understand what I'm saying? It's not that, 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 that is not complete repentance. The, the regret, I'm sorry for what I did. Or, I'm sorry I got caught. And you can have a genuine remorse and a genuine regret over what you've done. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But the real work of repentance is turning toward God. I was doing something, thinking something, you know, letting a process in my head work its way out here. And it was drawing me as, as everything does that's contrary to the Word which is what we call sin. It's contrary to the word, design, and plan, and intention of God for His children's lives. That's, that's sin. It's not just classified in little, a little box of pull these out and here are the sins. And it's like, it is, it is things that God says, I want for you the best. The best is found in my design, in my plans, my purposes, in my intentions, in why I created you. 
that you might glorify me and enjoy me. But when we turn to things that are contrary to that, that is sin. Like we are turning our back on God and walking toward what I want. I want this. And just to be clear, it might be some things that He actually created that are good things. That are fine things. They're just, they don't have a, oh, this is a sinful activity, you know, running toward debauchery and this and that. But it might just be that they're, they're okay things. But something we have decided, I'm going to get this and I don't care if you gave it. I just want this. I just want this. I want your things. Like, I want the things you made. I don't want you. And that's where you hear atheism and the world. Like, I want the things that you made. I just don't want you. You cloud this all up for me. You mess this all up for me. I want what I want. And I want the things you made. Because I want to do what I want to do with them. I want to live like I want to live. I want to live the life I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want somebody else telling me what to do. (laughs) Sounds like America, doesn't it? You know? I want to be told what to do. I want to do the things I want to do. And I don't care who I'm going to do them, you know? Bless God. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You just... (laughs) Everything about you says you just want this and you could care less about him and and yet you... Oh, never mind. It gets really messy. But repentance is... God shows you by His Word or by His Word and truth expressed by another brother or sister in Christ saying, asking the questions... Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? I'm just wondering because I see things that just makes me curious. How are you? And the light of the gospel shines on that darkness and exposes it. And that produces this godly sorrow and regret. Part one. Part two. Turning toward God and running straight to Him. And that's repentance. It's not just stopping what was bad and just going a different direction. Picking something else. Okay, that was wrong. Let me find something else that maybe you're going to say is okay and just go there. No. I'm sorry. No. It's not just an alternate, an alternative. It's turning from it and toward God. If there is no toward God, it's not real repentance. Um, it's more likely behavior modification at best and manipulation at worst. And you don't have to think too long to know that we are masters at manipulating words and thoughts, even for our own selves. We can, we can deceive ourselves so quick if we're this direction, away from God and toward our own wants. We can, we can manipulate the things. We can turn it on a dime. I can turn it on a dime. You know, when I say that we, I'm not just saying we and meaning you. No, I can turn it on a dime. Uh, you can ask, you can ask Carrie, I, I am the king of justifying whatever stupid thing I said or did. I can do that. I mean, it's like God help me. And He is. He is because the light of the gospel is shining on it and it's painful. And I've had to do a lot of, okay, you're right. I'm just turning what the stupid thing I just did or said, I'm just turning it into, well, but somehow God's going to get glory out of it. And it's like that that is the worst way to do things 
And it's like, somehow I'm gonna, I did something ridiculous. Was caught in it. God shined a light on it using someone else to bring that to me. And I'm going to turn around and blame His providence on that? No, I did something stupid. Yes, did He use it for good? But it's not going to be for my good unless I repent and go, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to justify things anymore. And so that's why I say, you know, that not torn, turning toward God is behavior modification at its best, but manipulation at its worst. And that's an ugly, ugly form of turning. It just, it is. Um, and it leads to a whole lot more crazy things. And I could, like, there's, in each piece of this, I'm like, there are just sermons that just kind of like jump out and I want to grab a hold of this. Oh, can we run down this road a little ways? And and I know we don't have six hours. I tr- Trust me, I could talk for the whole six, but let's just not, let's not do that. Let's get back to the point. So we've defined repentance, defining a term is repentance. And I want to define sanctification because we understand that, that repentance is part of the sanctification process. And when you understand when I say sanctification, I'm talking about that, that I was saved now I'm talking about that being saved part. Like that's the that's the salvation at work in us in these moments as we live now is that sanctification process. So sanctification equals being set apart. Being set apart. And I want you to hear this is this is Jesus' prayer in John chapter seventeen, starting in verse starting in verse 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 fourteen. Fourteen through twenty is what I'm gonna read. And Jesus praying to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Set apart for service to God. Set apart. I do not, and this is important, this is, this is like, this is bringing, bringing that context of what Jesus was praying in front of them that John penned. To us right here. This is bringing that context from back there right to us. And he's saying that and it's for us. I do not ask for these only. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. It doesn't just mean it was for them who were listening to Jesus and who were there, the, the disciples, the apostles that were with Him. It's, this is for us. This sanctification. This being set apart. And there are some notes here that I just, like I kept reading over this, and it's in my study Bible, so it just kept, the, the thoughts were so, so much more profound, I think, than I could put on pen. The sanctification of Christians is a lifelong process. It involves both a relational component, which is separation from participating in and being influenced by evil, and a moral component, growth in holiness or moral purity in attitudes, thoughts, and actions. This occurs in the truth, that is, as Christians believe, think, 
and live according to the truth in relation to God, themselves, and the world. This truth comprises the entire Bible, for Jesus said, Your word is truth. The Greek word is surprisingly not an adjective, meaning your word is true, but a noun, truth. This implies that God's word does not simply conform to some other external standard of truth, but it, that it is truth itself. That is, it embodies truth and is therefore the standard of truth against which everything else must be tested and compared. Psalm, nine, Psalm 119.9. I think I got that in there somewhere, Donald. I hope I do. Okay. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Uh, how can an old man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. How could a young woman? And I'm not going to say a woman because none of y'all are old. It's not going to say that because it's just never true. Never. By guarding it according to your word. Second Timothy, familiar, I pray, familiar. Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In the King's English, very similar. Thoroughly furnished. Well equipped, thoroughly furnished for every good work. So God is sanctifying us by the truth, by His Word. This book is full of fibers, right? I mean, it's made of paper. And there are fibers that run through here to make these pages. Now, this dude's thick, and the pages are really thin, and it's got a lot of notes, and it's a study Bible, so there's a lot of stuff in here. There's a lot of fibers that went into making this book a book. There are a lot of fibers, and they are not just physical fibers. There are a lot of spiritual fibers that run through the Word of God. And every single strand is important to the formation of this filter that we are called to judge everything in life by. It is thoroughly profitable for everything we'd ever come against. Or every decision that we would come up against. It is thoroughly able to guide us in everything. What if I want to buy a car? Do I choose the blue one or the green? Like, please don't, don't, let's not go down that road. But I do know that God gives wisdom about how to handle our money and how to handle our decision-making process and how to trust Him and know His voice that's leading us by the Word to do wise things with our time and our stuff. Or what value stuff has compared to maybe something else. And being able to tell us like you really? You don't you don't you don't you don't need that, but there's a greater need and I can show you those things and it comes from here. And it's not just it's not just the book and the page and the scholarship. Though we need scholarship, we need to put our eyes on the Word. And we need to learn this Word. But the One who illuminates, the One who illuminates this Word, the Spirit of God, the, the, the old words quickens 
quickens that word, like brings it up sharp and, and just makes it alive to us, not just scholarly. It's not just logical. Uh, it's Martin Lloyd-Jones, this, the phrase that he used that I just kind of like grabbed a hold of. is logic on fire. And it's not just fiery preaching and fiery words, but it's like it's, there are truths here, but the Spirit of God just sets them ablaze in us so that they're not just stuff we know and we repeat. We just quote and say, but it's stuff, stuff that, that brings power and movement to our lives that, that changes the world. The Word of God changes lives because the Spirit of God uses that to illuminate and change and at all sorts of words, sanctification, that process. God's Word is our filter. It is our filter for everything. And just like I said, it's like every, every word, everything is a fiber in that filter. I only think of, I, you know, I, I, I don't think of an example, and I may display it. I just, I didn't this time. But you take a, a sieve, you know, anything is a sieve, it's a, it's a mesh, maybe just like a mesh bowl. Maybe you've seen it before. Maybe, ladies, you might have one that, that you set over a, a pot, you want to strain something out. Or maybe a flour sieve. You put some flour in and you want to get that flour really fine. You run it through a sieve and it just gets it. It just like it, it gets it fine, fluffs it up, does it does what you need flour to do. Not a cook. I just know you need to do something with flour and it does something really good. And if you run it through a sieve, that's important. But I, I was I came from rock quarries. So when we talked about sieves, they were screens. Like the finer the screen the less the big junk fell through. And if you really wanted fines and you had to have those fines to do something, you couldn't have chunky stuff in there because it tears up machines. So we had to run it through a sieve and make it really fine. But water just goes right through it. So I can't filter out the big stuff. But now at home, where we live, where we live and around here, y'all, Ironton, you know, Arcadia, Rocks, you know, rocks are our thing. Rocks and gravel and sand is just like it's in the it's in the soil. You know, you dig down. It's not just pure dirt. It's a clunk. You know, if anybody tried to make a garden around here, it's like dynamite and you know maybe a bulldozer. You can clear your path and bring in dirt from somewhere else. You know, but it, it's in the water. And and for years in the house that we live, we it's just like pipe up into the sinks. And so I you know, we go in, we drink that water. It's delicious, it's good water, you know, it's good hard water, so when you take a shower and you dry off, you don't feel wet still. You dry, you know, because I've been some places where there's water softeners and you dry the water off and it's like I'm still wet. <laughs> that is just I don't know something about it, it just feels gross. Maybe it's context because I grew up around here when you dried off you were dry, but you dry off with a water softener and you're like slimy and it's like doesn't feel right. But anyway, I digress. So we were drinking this water all along. Well, I, I knew because I would have to clean the grit out of the faucet filters all the time. I was just always doing that. You know, it's like, oh, the water's not flowing again. The washing machine's doing something weird. Unscrew hoses, pull out filters, and it's like rocks. You know, tap the rocks out, rinse them out the other direction, slide it back in. Okay, everything works again for a while. And you don't think about that just going straight through and you're drinking it. You're taking it in. And not that it's probably, I mean, maybe it's good for you. I don't know. Minerals, I, it, you know, it could be. Or it just be, could be cutting your insides up. I don't know. I'm not going to go into that either. But I've been threatening for a long time to buy a filter to put in the house. Just not, nothing fancy, just a good old-fashioned filter. And it's been what, may, maybe a month? Maybe a month. And I walked in and looked at that filter the other day, and it's like, ew, I've been drinking this? Like, I've been drinking this stuff that's just on this filter? 
And then until I saw the filter doing filtering, I didn't really realize what all we were taking in. Now again, here or there, someone would say, well, it's good for you, you know, it's how God made the earth and all that. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. I drank it for years and I haven't died yet, so it's probably all right. Now I wouldn't go that with, with everything. <laughs> like that illustration does not carry out. So just. But when I saw what the filter was doing, I appreciated it a whole lot more. I saw a whole lot more value in it. And I knew that the finer the filter, the more of that stays out of what's going into me. You see where I'm kind of going with this? The more of this Word that we have in us. The more we know this, it's like, it's like the fibers in that filter. They are tighter and tighter woven. So the tighter the filter, the less impurities get through to us. Seeing the Word of God do that in our lives. Seeing the Word of God do that in my life motivates me to get into it more. When I just see the Word as just something, you know, it's just something to know, and I, oh, I need to, I know, I don't read my Bible enough, and I probably should. And I'm saying that not to make fun of anyone. I'm saying, that's me! I'm saying that as this, I know, oh, Lord, I really know I need to read that more. Ugh. But when I see and and there is there's a huge measure of repentance in me because and I'll and I'll probably say this story for another time because I know I want to move on but because I know where I've been in the faith I know where I've walked and realized that I let the chain out a little bit away from the Word for the sake of what? For the sake of reaching people. For the sake of being a change agent somehow in this world and in the church somehow and, and ma- wanting to make a difference and feeling the, the desire to make a difference. And I let that chain out. Got a little further away from that Word and the fibers got a little farther apart. And then when you realize that you've been letting things in, when you realize you've been letting some things in, and oh, are they going to kill you? Oh, no. Are they going to make you sick? Yeah, probably. Are they going to weaken you? Mm-hmm, yeah, that's pretty good. pretty good sure bet they will. You get out in that space and you realize, I am really far away from laying those fibers down tight. And how much more I appreciate this being a filter for everything. How much more I appreciate this Word being not just academic. This is the power of God to change lives by the power of the Holy Spirit who is defined here. By the hand of God who defines Himself for us here. Through the Son of God, through Christ who defines Himself here. And if we find all the definition of who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is in here, then this is where we should go to know God and have the Spirit enlighten us to who He is for His glory. For His glory in us. Alright, now I'm ready to start the sermon. So back to repentance as a part of the sanctification process. Make turning away from sin and toward God a regular life practice. Like a compass, God's Word will always show us true north. 
make turning away from sin and toward God a regular life practice daily. And that's to be over big things. Just make it a away from sin and away from the world, the flesh, the devil, and toward God. Make it a regular life practice. And keep short accounts. Don't allow stuff to sit in there for days and days and just kind of fester and rot. Like you find something that, that God's Spirit gives you because of His Word ingrained in you. God's Spirit gives you a little shot. Just goes, hey, what are you doing? What? Oh, I wasn't thinking about it. And you realize right then, it's like, hmm, maybe this is stepping away. Don't justify one thing. Speaking as a real justifier, don't justify one thing immediately. Go, okay, God, change my heart and get me. I want to come, I want to come back to where this wasn't a part of the process. I want to come back here. Like make it a regular. Become quick and easy. Let me put it that become quick and easy for God's word to correct. Don't let those things lay in there for any length of time because they grow stuff like like it's like mold. They, they grow stuff and it's gross and it spreads out like multiplies multiple. Don't leave it in there. Hit it with the bleach, you know? I mean, hit it with the word of God right here. Hit it hard with it and be done with it. Short accounts. And I mentioned uh, a few weeks back that God's Holy Spirit is the vine dresser tending these vines that will produce fruit fit for a fine wine that will glorify the Master and bring joy and delight to all who taste it. Now, I don't want anybody to get hung up on wine or anything. I just like, let's just not go there right now at all. But I want you to see that that purpose, that God tends over these vines to make something sweet and delightful that glorifies the master of the vineyard and brings joy to others. Wine making involves pressure to crush the fruit and press out the juice. You hear what I'm saying? Like there is pressure that comes to bear on us to press these things out of us. The sanctification process isn't just like discovery, realization, and change. It is pressure that God puts on us to crush and break. But it's not, it's not spiteful and it is not vindictive. It is helpful in every way. Every crushing of God is not anger for the child of God. Hear this, for the child of God, for His kids. Every crushing is to produce that fine wine that brings Him glory and brings us and others joy. An easy life is a curse. An easy life is a curse. And in this world we live, to say that it's like, oh, that's offensive. Because we want, we, we crave, we worship ease, comfort, security. I want to be secure. I, I don't... I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to be changed. I just want to be happy. But an easy life is a curse. To never realize the truth of our necessity of God for every good thing would be the worst life. To become self-satisfied with the things of this earth would be the worst life. It would be your worst life now. An easy life is a curse. To not be bothered 
by or about our sin or separation from God would be a curse and not a blessing. And I say, bother me, Lord. Bother me. Why? Because I just want to get beat up? I love just being beat up? No, it is not pleasant. It's no pleasant thing. But I don't want to be left there. I illustrated talking to my kids because I don't want them left there. I don't want them to continue on in things that are going to lead to their destruction. And so I say that same thing, Lord, bother me. Bother me. Don't let me drift. Heart me. To save me from eternal hurt. To save me from a destruction that would be ten times worse than that little spat on the hand. Hey, no, no. Put that down, Kev. Put it down. Oh, you took what I wanted away. It's like, yeah. You keep getting what you want and you will destroy yourself. I, I mentioned it probably somewhere in the back. Like when I was a kid, all I wanted, I just remember going to the store and it's like chocolate icing. I just, you know, I would just like, when I get old enough to buy groceries, I'm going to buy chocolate ice. I'm going to buy chocolate icing and I'm going to eat it. That's what I'm going to have. I'm just going to have. Shelves full of chocolate icing. <laughs> and probably no feet and, and be like just like diabetic. And just, ugh, you want to think of what, if I got what I wanted, the destruction that that would have worked in me. Thank you, God, that I didn't get what I thought I wanted. An easy life is a curse. In the pressure of challenges, <laughs> in the pressure of challenges, what is inside is forced out. It's a revelation to us when the pressure of life squeezes us a little bit and stuff starts coming out. Like it's a revelation to us what's in there. The thought processes, how we feel about God, life, people, and everything, circumstances. Like, that starts to come out. God already knows that. Like, that, that revelation is, is to us. Because He knows. And that pressure begins to squeeze that out. For the believer, for those who belong to Christ, the inventory of what comes out or squeezed out produces two things in the believer. Sanctification... Number one, sanctification, that, that being set aside, being set apart, being changed. You know, you see that, okay, that needs to, oh man, that needs to go. That came out, like boom, it came out. All right, I see that there. I got to give, that's a put it down, walk to God. Just let it go, walk straight back to God. I don't care how it feels, I don't care how much you just like, but I really want this. Put it down, walk to God. So the inventory of what's squeezed out of us shows us, hey, sanctification. But it's not just the only thing because there's glorification too. It's like you see in the squeezing and you see just a sweet, pure juice come out. And it's like, wow, there are less impurities there than there were. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because I see some change. And I promise you, it doesn't have to be some great, humongous change. I'm totally transformed. No, I just like, that was a little better than killing everyone in the room. I just wanted to hurt them really bad. And those who are parents understand what I mean by that. And those who have worked with people or been around people anywhere in your life, they know what I mean when I say that, you know? You don't have to be a parent to feel those feelings around people. Of course, then I'm also some of the people that others could feel those things about. So, 
But when you see those things change, even little changes, glorify God. Because you see in the inventory, God is at work squeezing out the junk that He can make a pure product. Thank you, Lord, for that. Celebrate that victory, knowing God is at work, that He's doing things that are making changes. And then again, it comes back, the circle keeps coming around. Impurities revealed equal repentance and sanctification. I know you're familiar with this verse, 1 John 1.9. Prior to this, if we say we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there you hear that filtering piece at work there. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Glory to God for that cleansing process He works in us. And finally, that pure juice coming out is equal to glory to God and joy abundant. And I read this last passage, Philippians 1, 3 through 11. This is Paul to the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because... I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When that pure juice begins to flow from us, in, when the pressure moments come, and, and I want to you know, kind of just, just one snippet clarify. Pressure does not always mean crazy, catastrophic circumstances. It doesn't have to be in the big, you know, bold, multiple exclamation marks. Oh my word, what just happened here? But the pressure can come when just God just challenges you and shows you, He showed me, your way is taking you away from me. And, and get me, when you kind of like that way, like you kind of like it. You've gotten to where you really enjoy that way. It actually feels good to you or it's comforting to you somehow or other. But that way is destructive and God brings that challenge. It's like, this way is taking you away from me. But it's precious to me. I love it. Oh, I don't want to go into Lord of the Rings. The precious. No, I did. Sorry. But this way is precious to me. This is a way of life that I love. This is the way of life that I like. And now it's been taken from me. The pressure of God saying, realize that you need me. Turn from that thing that you value that's become your comfort and turn to me because there are comforts and joys beyond anything that that fleeting happiness or whatever could ever give you. And let the work of God produce the fruit in us. And that pure juice coming out, those pure changes coming out, those, those pressures that move and, and begin to make stuff flow out of us, let that be a glory to God. A glory to God and a joy 
abundant evidence. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day and for Your Word and truth. And I pray in everything, may You receive glory because it is Your Word and Your truth. May it be for Your fame and the fame of Your name and Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit. May it be evident in us all that it's a work that You're doing. Even this preaching, this teaching, this moment, this lectern, this, these notes, may what is said and may what is done, may it be glorifying to Your name and producing us an abundant joy that is beyond the circumstances the peace that surpasses understanding. May it fill our hearts and minds in Christ. And may we walk out of this moment in Christ to glorify Your name and be changed for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.